The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a brutal girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building resilience. Talking trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. Difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Good evening, America. Good morning, Australia. It's wonderful to be with you here again on Radio Tony, and I'm your host, Tony Lontis. Today, we have wonderful rain falling in our lovely little valley, um, and it's increasingly getting heavier and heavier. So if you hear the sound of rain in the background, that's all it is. I've uh, managed to uh, blot out as much sound as I can, but I can still hear it. So that's what you can hear in the background. So this week has been such a busy week that I'm just actually looking so much forward to spending the next hour or so with you guys. And just to let you know why it's been busy, we've just launched the website for Radio Tony. So now you can find RadioTony.com with its own website and there you'll find everything you need to know about the show and me. You can listen to shows that you've missed, grab the latest podcast. You'll also see an in-depth review of the people that I have on the show. And I'm really excited to this new website is up and going. It relieves the old website of the stress it was having from all the information and stuff that was coming from Radio Tony. Also this week, I've officially launched my Philippines tours, my transformational tours with Tony, I'm going to the Philippines in May, uh, taking you away for a week from a Saturday to a Saturday. The tour is open to anyone. And I will pop the link up in the chat box a little later, but we will be going to experience something that's a little bit different. So a little bit of volunteering, if you've never volunteered before, we sponsor a feeding program in Zone 3 in Manila. And so you get to see the impact of such programs on the local population. We also take time to uh, spend 
individual an individual night with a family in uh, a place called GK Village, which is a village that has been built by the people and for the people with no money exchange. So it's a fascinating look at social entrepreneurship and what your tourist dollars do in a poor country like Manila. So combined with those things, we have some lovely little tours um, to museums and histories, some amazing food before we all jump on a plane together and go to the island of Koran. As Koran. Now, Koran has been voted one of the most beautiful islands on the planet, and I can't wait to share my time with you there. We've got some tourist uh, destination um, and island hopping planned for that leg of the tour. You'll have some downtime, some time with me. We'll do some little workshops um, and massage, hot springs, and downtime. So come away on Transformational Tours with Tony in May, and I'll pop the link up in the box in a minute. So we are going to talk after the break and the song to an amazing author called Deborah Henry, who wrote the critically acclaimed novel, The Whipping Club. So I'm going to hand over to Rebel. We're going to have a short break and a song. And when we come back, we have Deb live on air with us. And I'm so excited about this interview. Over to you, Rebel. Radio Tony, bringing social consciousness this time every Thursday evening, live from the Gold Coast, Australia, on W4WN. Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl, discovering a woman of strength and beauty, is the new book from Australian author Tony Lontis. Available in paper, ebook, and audio formats, Resilience is a true life story of Tony experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues, and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Available for download now through all good online retailers and in all good bookstores. I'm glad we got to hang out again. See? You're, you're just... What? You're just not like most girls. Um... I, uh, I gotta go. Best in the tiny dresses. Some girls, nothing but sweatpants, looking like a princess. Some girls, kiss new lips every single night. They're staying out late cause they just celebrating life. You know, some days you feel so good in your own skin. But it's okay if you wanna change the body that you came in. Cause you look Are the same. I wanna be like, I wanna be like most. 
like to keep their physique real private Some girls wear jeans so tight cause they feel so right, yeah Some girls every day search and keep the beach turning and sleeping in late cause they just celebrating life Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Hello and welcome back to Radio Tony. You're listening to your host, Tony Lontis. And this morning we have, or this evening if you're in America, we have an amazing author to speak to, Deborah Henry's critically acclaimed debut novel, The Whipping Club, was a Kirkus Reviews Best of 2012 and selected for O Magazine July Summer Reading. Deb is a longtime arts editor for the Irish Voice, Irish America and Irish Central, and her novel has been described as immensely assured, grabbing the reader from the first page. It's the kind of debut that publishers dream of, confident, clear and appealing to a wide audience. Henry is an active member of the Academy of American Poets, on the board of the Carnarvon, I'll have to get Deb to correct that. She's on the board of the Carnarvon Carey Press and a patron of the Iris Arts Centre in New York. Her first short story was published in the Copperfield Review, was a historical fiction finalist for the Sunlander magazine and was longlisted for the Fish Short Story Prize. Henry lives in New York. Uh, and Connecticut and divides her time between the two. She's recently finished her second novel. Welcome to Radio Tony, Deborah Henry. Hi, thank you so much. I, that was a wonderful welcoming, and, and, and you make me think of the hashtag One World. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I've just, um, Jean's just popped a comment in the chat book, 
box and he said that that was a good song. So that song we just listened to was from Hayley Seinfeld and it's called Most Girls. Um, Deb, so I'm assuming that you have an Irish background. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I do. I have um, um, my parents divorced when I was about 15. My father was Jewish. Yes. And my mother is the daughter of Irish immigrants. Uh-huh. So back back in the 1950s and the 1960s, that was very, very uncommon. Yeah. And nobody came to their wedding. No. And now I feel like as much as we need to have these conversations, and we definitely do, yeah. that, that it's a lot better now, now that I'm thinking about that song, that yes. Gene liked, than it was back then because everything was very um, split, you know, ostracized, you know, God forbid, God forbid you dated a black guy. Exactly. It was awful. And and, and not only that, if your parents got divorced, you were also, you were stigmatized. So I grew up um, with uh, a lot of stuff that made me feel separated from the world. It would have been tough for you, Deb, at 15 for that to happen because 15 is a pretty critical time in our development. So that would have impacted on you being a a teenager as well, yeah? Yeah, and, and not only that, it was, you know, this whole Me Too movement Yes. And all of that um, is so good because back then, I mean, I think everyone has a story about being yes. abused sexually yes. Yes. by someone on the football team. Yes. I mean, it, it didn't matter. You just, it was allowed. And you didn't talk about it. You didn't bring it up to your girlfriends. No. You didn't tell anyone. You just took it on the chin, so to speak, because exactly. you couldn't talk about it, could you? No, and you you definitely didn't tell your mother. Because no. it, it would have looked like it was your fault. What everyone, were you? yep. Yeah, everyone thought it was the woman's fault. So, um, you know, so we all, ha- we all have our stories. Every, I think every country, every girl yes. who's now a woman – just like I'm getting resilience tomorrow, and I cannot wait to read your book. Oh, thank uh, you. I'm, I'm so excited. But, I mean, a memoir of a broken girl, I mean, we all have it, – Yes. It, it, it must have taken you a lot of work because I know it took me a lot of work. An to incredible break. amount of work, Deb. Yeah. I, you know, I had to work really hard to get to where I am now in terms of how I feel about myself, my mental health, um, self-compassion and self-love. And it's still there in the background at times. There's And, and you would probably feel this too, that it's just it, it, you're better and for the most part life is great, but every now and then something will, will happen and you'll feel like that small lost girl Again, is that, do you identify with that, Deb? Um, you know, I I don't anymore. Yep. As of about, That's good. 
something very odd happened to me. This is going to sound crazy, but oh. about three years ago, I woke up from a sleep and I listened to meditation yes. and Eckhart Tolle and um, Abraham Hicks in the morning, yes. but while I'm still not completely conscious. And I heard myself say out loud, I love you, Debbie. And I was stunned. I mean, who yes. says that to themselves? And and ever since then, I re, I've been focusing on letting go, finally, of my family, my parents, my yes. past, and yes. taking complete responsibility yes. for my self-love. Yes. And not not blaming anybody, because I, I used to love to do that, you know. Yeah. It's everybody else's fault. Now yeah. I, I feel like it's no one's fault, although it um, just is. It just is, mm -hmm. and 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 so that helped me a lot when I when I. But it took. I mean, I'm 62. Yeah, it, took, it takes it took a long time. <laughs> it does take a long time. God. So. Debbie, I'm curious, with your Irish um, Jewish background, were you brought up of Jewish faith or Catholic? That's the thing. My parents weren't religious, and so they uh -huh. kind of, they brought me up, um, you know, whoever got married, depending on whose side of the family was, we'd go to the temple or yes. the church. Uh -huh. And so in my 20s, I woke up at three in the morning, made a cup of tea, and I was engaged. And I realized intuitively I was getting married for the wrong reasons, to show yeah. the world that I'm yep. normal. Uh -huh. And it was three weeks before my wedding. Mm -hmm. I called it off. Everyone thought I was crazy. And six weeks later, I met my husband. And yeah. so... We've been married as of tomorrow for 32 years. Oh, congratulations. So, so, so what I'm getting at is when I was going through that depression, hard yeah. time that, God, I'm nuts and, and I'm giving up yeah. a, I'll never have children, which it wasn't true. I, um, I, I started going to church and I realized yeah. there was something more than the Easter bunny going on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and I, I mean, I was just floored by all the stuff I was learning about yeah. religion. And so I was raised with none and um, found found a relationship with the, my spiritual side yes. on my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how it happened. What so, about you? Did you have the same... I had a, a a a dysfunctional family life, and my my family hate me saying that, but I I know that it was dysfunctional. So, my mum was very uh, religious slash she was a Christian, and dad wasn't. So there were huge, uh, oh. yeah, well. there was like ongoing arguments about whether we went to church or we didn't go to church, or about what mum was doing and what dad didn't want to do so quite 
dysfunctional in that space. And um, that caused me in my later years to really examine what I thought about Christianity and the Bible. And I would say that my thoughts are now more uh, spiritually conscious versus Christianity. Um, there are a lot of beautiful Christians out there, uh, but a lot of them are so judgmental and uh, I, I don't think that that's helpful for anyone. No one should be judged um, yeah, about absolutely. anything. Like that was a key thing for me. I felt judged for most of my life and that does nothing for anyone in any positive way, shape or form. So I'm pretty adamant that you should not judge um, you're not working in walking in that person's uh, shoes, and it's not your place to judge, no matter what their decision is. So, that's, um, that's yeah. Right. And you so, know, in I, in Ireland, it was um, my grandmother and I were very yeah. close, and yeah. she she was raised in the north of Ireland yes. and told me on a farm, and she told me Frank McCourt's book Angela's Ashes yes. was completely false. So. <gasps> One day, I, I, I say that I'm bilingual. So what happened yes. was I, end, I ended up marrying an Irish Catholic guy. So I went that <laughs> way. I went that, that way. And um, I one day was in the backyard with my three little kids and said, I yeah. wonder what, what it would have been like to be half Jewish and half Irish yes. in Dublin. Yes. And I went over there and I realized that... It was even rougher yeah. than I had even imagined. And that's what began the eight-year research for the Whipping Club, because I just felt like you, that no one should be judged. And that the the way, I mean, I was just so angry still about yes. the way women yes, in particular were treated if they had an out of wedlock child, yes, or a, a very you know, much the horrible. stigma. Oh. I can still connect with the stigma I felt when I had my first child at twenty-one, and we were not married. And oh. subsequent to her birth, um, indeed, five months she was five months old when I found out that her father was. Uh, with uh, a 17-year-old a girl. So, yeah, I I get it. <laughs> oh, man. You, that's, yeah, that, that's just, to me, it's, even though I didn't have that experience and I didn't, um, something must have registered with me because, yeah. um, you know, my father used to like to hit us. Yes. You know, that was considered kind of normal. It was. It was. And it was also, on a side note, I used to write piano songs, very bad piano songs. <laughs> and and my mother would say, that's nice, go set the table. Yeah. You know, like nobody cared that I wanted to write a book. Uh, that's Isn't that something from that, that era? Like we're in, in similar eras. And I felt that I had no option but to get a bank job, uh, go oh, yeah. nursing or teaching. Those were the only three things that were like in my Allowed. future. 
you know? Yeah, and I did get a, you know, I, I wanted to be an actress at first. And my mother yeah. said, no, I don't, I don't want you to become a waitress. But then um, I ended up becoming a waitress anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, ha- I had no money. Yes. So, I mean, that was another part. That's even another part of the the problems that we have suffered were, were that art was considered something that you were born with, not yeah. something that you could develop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you, you, of course, never would have thought about being um, a writer either. So never. What tipped you into writing The Whipping Boy in the first place? I know you've said that it took eight years to get it yeah. to fruition, but was it? did it start with an idea or how did that process work for you? Well, I think it's because deep inside I always wrote. I mean, I was nobody yes. was surprised. I, I yeah. used to walk around writing bad poetry too. But... <laughs> 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 But um, when I finally got married at 30 to my husband and yeah. didn't have to work anymore because he yeah. supported me, not artistically at yeah. that time, but yeah. he supported me financially, yeah. I, I, the love of children freed me because, you know, how you just sit on the floor with pots and pans and water yeah. and you, you yeah. and that, that made me free to start developing that side that was ignored all my life. And it came yeah. out so easily. Like I, I, I honestly feel that um, I was meant to be an actress or a writer or something yes. because the real joy comes from creativity. With yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think for everybody, I think for everybody. I agree. Not that many people get the opportunity because, you know, it also takes a lot of strength to break from those bonds. Yeah. And yeah. say, okay, I won't be a teacher. I will, you know. Find I'll, something I'm passionate about it about. Yeah, and do that. exactly. And, you know, most people don't do that, I don't think. And I feel like, like right now I'm writing a screenplay based on yes. the novel. Yes. Only from the child's point of view, which is interesting. And I, I'm elated when I finish eight hours of doing it. Yes. Yes. Which you, you don't get from normal life. It, it's, no. You only get that from doing something to which you're passionate about. Right. And, and, and it I no think, longer becomes work. It becomes a joyful, creative expression, doesn't it? It does. And, and and so now my whole new T-shirt I want is, if it ain't fun, not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie, I've got a couple of questions coming through from our listeners. Julie wants to know, why do you think the things you worked on are bad? I don't think they're bad. I think they're great. Yes, I would agree too. I don't think that they're bad. Uh, I just think that there are some things in your life that you can, to live your best life, then there's things that you need to work on. Yeah, I, I, oh, I had to work for years and years and years, and I still have to work, and I'll have to work for the rest of my life. Yes. But, I've, but now I say, I say uh, more, 
that forgiveness, you know, we worry about what we're putting in our bodies all the time. So yeah. I always, I always say forgiveness should be a food group. Yes. That, that when I forgave my, my father for yes. not coming to my wedding yeah. because he didn't want to pay for it, or I forgave my narcissistic mother yeah. for not, not caring about her only daughter. Yeah. Um, it, which was recently, I, yes. I, I, I felt like that was the beginning of me freeing myself from them. Yes. They I don't agree. Have, they have no um, control over me. Now when yes. they say something rude, I just, I just say compassion. Have yes. compassion. They're the ones that need the help. Yes. Yes. And, it, and you have to, to get to that point where you can be loving and forgiving, you have to change. You can't change them. You can only change you. You can only change what goes on in your mind. You can only change what w the way you see and think about things. So, And I very much identify with what Deborah's saying about um, parents because it took me a lot of work to be able to respond to them in a way that I know that I love them, but I will never get from them what I so craved when I was younger and that, you know, that acceptance and that, that uh, love. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. It's okay, that's, but, it, but, it, but it wasn't okay. For me, it, it, wasn't, it really yeah. wasn't okay. And I tried so hard, I think, psychologically to get it as yes. much as I could, and I could never get it. Yes, yes. And people agreed. and pe people would tell me, "You're never going to get it. This is a pattern." And I yeah. and I couldn't I couldn't bear hearing that. So I agree. Now yeah. I can. Now yes. Now I don't speak to my mother every single day. I don't my, either. You know, I don't. And but I make a point of checking in with them at least once a week to once a fortnight depending on you know what's going on in my life just to check in say hi how you doing etc yeah. yes. um lucy wants to know how do we know what we are passionate about great question lucy what would you say deb what would your response yeah that's a great question because yeah. i think that um i think that we are passionate about a lot of things that are stifled and they're they're just sitting there bottled up so how do you know what you're passionate about you you try different things you you yes. you write you write a poem that while you're taking a walk or or you help you help a blind person uh run the marathon yes or, or something I feel like there's a need out there and there's a hope out there and that when you find that need that you can fill for someone else, you'll find your passion. You'll find your passion. Yeah. It, and it's about listening and taking notice of the things that give you joy and that's where you'll find your passion. If you do something that that doesn't give you joy – then obviously that thing is something you're not passionate about. Right. And, and that's not, but that's not to say. Yes. I, I want to tell the listener that, you know, 
just because I'm passionate, and I have a couple of videos up there on my um, Facebook fan page, but, you know, just because I was And I'm going to put um, Deb's uh, contact um, Facebook stuff up in the chat box for you two listeners. Sorry, Deb, go on. Because there's, there's, some, there's some videos I did a long time ago that show how damn long it took me even though I was passionate, it it was not easy. Writing a yeah. novel is it's for me is very yeah. difficult for me. Yeah, yeah. So that's another thing. Like, it's hard to decipher if it's just you're exhausted, or that you. But you you'll know you'll know because yes. eight hours will go by in three minutes. And and I, I'll give you a book called Flow. Yes. And another book called Creativity, written by University of Chicago professor. And he discusses all about how to find your passion. Yeah. So so it is really about joy. I mean, it, 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 it's not the result. I, I used to think it was the result. And I'd hate when people say, well, it's all about the journey, you know, Deb. <laughs> And I'd be like, oh, shut up. But it's not. I want, I want to get published, God damn it. But yeah, <laughs> that's how I was. But now I really see that I was happy yesterday. I don't know if the screenplay is good or bad, nor, but it's the, it's the joy of doing it. Yes. And the result is so temporary. Yes. Like, I thought it would last me forever, but now I'm on yeah, to no. the next. No. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So when you feel joy, let me know. I'll I'll help you along. I love helping others. That's my that's what my my I think that's what my real joy is is yes. And I think that's everybody's real joy is finding a way to help others. Help others. I, yeah. Help others anonymously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anonymously is good because that's fun. <laughs> Julie so, wants to know, you said you wrote bad music and poetry. I'm sure it wasn't bad music, but, yes, you definitely wrote lots of poetry, didn't you, Deborah? Yeah, and, and let's remember, I was eight years old when I was doing this, all yeah. the way to 15. And so, you know, I think there's a great book out there called um, Annie Lamott, um, Bird by Bird, this yeah. um person Julie might want to read it but she talks about something called shitty first drafts (laughs) and that that there's no one in the world who does anything from scratch write a painting write you know do it draw painting whatever it is that you find as something you want to do that's going to come out like Rembrandt yep it takes a lot of hard work there's moments when you write and it just flows effortlessly, but I know when I wrote my book, there were bits that flowed effortlessly and there were other bits that were just shockingly hard to write. <laughs> and there were like 20 re-edits of one oh, of a couple sure. of pages that it just, it just wasn't right. So, right. and the other thing is too that it's never going to be perfect. Um, right. I had to get over yeah. the fact that it was never going to be perfect. And if I wrote the same book now, I would have 
different perspectives even just 12 months on from writing it. Right. Is that the same for you, Deb? Yes, exactly. Like if I read if I read the Whipping Club again, I would yes. see things that I would change. Yes. Yes. But yes. um but that's okay because um because it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I I feel like um and there's there's a point where I am now that I think comes from um all the Google alerts I have. I don't know if yes. this other writer, I don't know if you do this, Tony, but every book I write, I yes. I set Google alerts. So every oh. day, yeah, every day you get information from around the world. So, for instance, for the Whipping Club, I have child abuse, industrial yes. school system, illegal yeah. adoptions, anti-Semitism, out-of-wedlock children, birth mothers, interfaith marriage. And for oh. the school, so you, you'll get things from all over the world every day on your subject. That's a fantastic idea. I didn't think of doing that. Awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and... So you're you're relating and you're actually making friends on LinkedIn yes. because you you link in with the people yes. that have written an article about what your subject matter is. Aha, uh -huh. what a great idea. Um, Deb Pam wants to know how can we get over missing what we want and need emotionally? The great only, question. Uh, yeah, another great question. How do we get over missing what we want? You know, that is such a deep, question. profound question yes. because I think you do that um, after a lot of self-love, self mm -hmm. mm -hmm. a lot of love, a lot of saying, I mean, I've been married for 32 years, so I mean, sometimes I want to just strangle my husband. <laughs> and he's a, and he's a nice guy. So I keep trying to get love from him. Yeah, but I have I have to try to remember that that's never going to happen, and that the only way you will get over that and find your peace and strength and yes. real strength yes. is to work on I come first. Yes. I am selfish. Yes. And the, the only way you can help anyone else is that at first you have helped yourself. So it's make that, that make that grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. Do it, you know, worry about yourself. If you want to lie in bed all day, lie in bed all day. Yeah. And don't because feel you can't, guilty. You can't give or help others if you don't give to yourself first. So it's the whole premise of fill your own cup first and then right. you're able to give to others. And the giving to others is what will fill you up um, and and give you joy for the most part. I don't know anyone who doesn't get some joy out of giving to others. Oh, no, you, you get great joy out of giving to others. Yes. But I think... You have to learn, like I'm still learning this. I thought it's yes. such a profound question, but it is. You have you have to learn that 
if somebody else doesn't like you, that's okay. It is. You just have to like yourself. One in seven people that you meet will not like you. That is (laughs) a statistic that I have gleaned somewhere along my life, but one in seven people you meet will not like you. And don't try and make them because that's okay. That's the reality of human connection. So if you keep – that's helped me a lot because um, before I was – uh, before I learnt about self-love and, and self, self-empathy, I was driven to make sure people and all people that I met liked me. But now I have that little nugget in the back of my head. I'm reminded that not everyone I meet is going to like me and that's okay. Well, the, it's neither for, good. Further to that point, what I think I had the most trouble with in my life Yeah was realizing that one out of those seven people, which I didn't know that, one of those seven people was my mother. Yeah, yeah, and that's hard to realize. That to me was, uh, it's not that she didn't like me. She she hasn't developed to like herself enough. Correct. That's what the problem is. That's it. So, but I wanted, if it was somebody on the street, I wouldn't really care. But it's really hard when it's one of your Your parents. Your own mother. Yep. When it's your own family, Deb, it is completely difficult. And this is kind of really raw for me at the moment because after 30 years of horribleness, I've had to cut my younger sister out of my life because she's toxic. What she does right. is toxic. What she says is so- toxic. The way she behaves is toxic. And you just get to the point where you value yourself enough to say no more. And you can say that on right. a head level, but it still hurts your heart. It still oh. hurts my heart that I have to do that. But I know that that's the right thing. And perhaps that will be the thing that is the catalyst for her getting the help that she needs. Right, you know? and, and, and that's that's hard when it's a family member, and maybe in ten years, yes, that'll that will be different. Correct. Yeah, yeah. But you but, have to do it now. You have yeah. to take care of yourself because she's toxic to you. She is. Yeah, and and I love her, and I can say right. that without any like I I love her dearly, but I cannot have that that energy that continually brings me to my knees so you know she she has done things that are just so completely and utterly hurtful that I am best away from that and not dealing with that and right now yes and it and and it was the hardest thing I've one of the hardest things I've ever had to do but I am feeling I don't like it but I'm feeling better about things and where she's concerned because I can't change her I can't make her get help I can't I can't control anything about her but I can control and protect myself and my mental health and And you know you know what scared me so much yeah that that trying to break the chain like you are and I have 
I was so afraid that I was going yes. to hurt my own children. Yes. Because I was carrying so much toxic, toxicity yeah. with me. Yep. So the other day I said to my 30-year-old daughter, Catherine, I just want to say that I am sorry that I once took you by the hair and dragged you around the room. Yeah. And she said, Mom, I cannot believe I'm hearing that. I, I, I wasn't an abusive parent. I did it once. No. But, I mean, she Did she remember? It. She did remembered. She remember? she and did. she was very, very thankful to me and saying, I love you so much for saying that. Yeah. So I think, like, I don't think my mother has ever once in her whole life, and she's 85, said, I'm sorry to me. Yeah, that's Just, true. They don't say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Because they don't think they're yeah. sorry. So I think it's yeah. important to say, I'm sorry that I took away those piano lessons when you weren't practicing. I wish I could have yeah. done better. I think that's an important step. And um, yeah, but saying goodbye to people, I, I've had to do that too. And it's even my own father, I had to do it. Oh, but you know, then I went back and, and, and I asked for his forgiveness a long, long time ago before he died. And, and he thought I was the prodigal son, basically. Oh, and and the next week he was getting remarried and I oh, wow. signed his papers and I had ulcerative colitis from from oh. being so ripped up inside from yep. not being with my dad. And it all went away. Oh, I haven't wow. had. Yeah. It, so it's pretty amazing what your body will respond to once you. Once you find that self-love, I want to tell your your guests. And and that link between um, what's going on in your mind and what is uh, coming out in your body. So your uh, ulcerative colitis was because you were estranged from your dad and that yeah. was causing you pain and it was coming out in a, in a physical in manifestation of the pain. So if you ever, um, I, I find those. Whenever you have um, bodily, now I've realized that whenever you have yeah. some body aches, yes, try try to think about accepting. Say, say, yeah, what's going on inside? But don't be mad at. No, I, I'm trying to get people to understand that it's okay. You, it's. Everything is okay. You're okay. Yes. Just yes. the way you are and accept yeah. that. And and I would go and look in the mirror every day and say, I love you, whoever it is. I love you, Julie. Yeah. I yeah. love you, Julie. Just because I think that helped me. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. <laughs> that, that looking in the mirror stuff the first thing in the morning and saying, you're okay. Today's going to be a good good day. I love you. Yeah. You're perfect the way that you are. Those things have power and they may seem silly and they may be awkward to begin with, but they have such power. Don't you agree, Deb? I do so much. And I'm so looking forward to resilience. Ah. 
I, I'll have so to give you a excited. warning. It could be triggering, but I'm listening to you and going, oh, my God, <laughs> you're going to read that story and go, oh, that's the same, that's the same. I feel like there's so many correlations. And I'm so I'm so happy to hear that other women have had similar um, experiences and that uh, they identify with different parts of the book. That, that makes me think there's – absolutely a reason why I needed to write that book. Um, Kevin wants you to know, at least it seems like there is hope if we can come to terms with things. Kevin, there's always hope, isn't there, Deborah? Oh, Kevin, I have it written right down here, and there's hope. Why am I writing this screenplay? Because there's hope. Yes. That's uh, Kevin, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more that there's a need and there is hope. Yes. Yes. And Very it's well said. Part of, and it's part of the reason why Deborah writes, it's part of the reason why I write, is to show people that there is always hope. And um, for those of you that have read my story, you'll know that I went to very deep, dark, impossible places, but I came out the other side and I... I want other people to know that there is always hope. Don't give up. Keep trying um, and and you will get through it. And it may not be today. It may not be next week. And it might be, as in Deborah in my case, many, many decades before right. you get to the other side. But you do come out the other side, don't you, Deborah? You do if you keep working at it. And, and, and it's – Yes. And, and then it becomes play the rest of your life. Just like I said, if yes. it ain't fun, I'm not. Everything to me is I can find the joy of the side of darkness now. Yes, so can I. And that's it's a so big great. change for me. Like that ability to be grateful and see the joy and fun in everything, no matter what it is, is a real blessing, listeners. A real blessing. It sure is. It's the gratitude. Grateful. Are you in the hospital? I always talk about that when I feel bad. I think of all the people that are in that are in the hospital right now. Yeah. There's always always something. Yeah. So be grateful for for this, and I'm grateful to you for having me on the show. I I I'm so. I really was looking forward to this interview, and I'm. So grateful for you to come on Radio Tony today. And my technician is saying, you're out of time, you're out of time. And I'm like, oh, no, I want to keep talking. (laughs) Listeners, I want you to be a – thank you, Deborah Henry, for coming on Radio Tony, for sharing your endless wisdom. Um, And thank you, listeners, for your fabulous questions today. I will join you next week at the same time. But for now, we we are completely out of time Thank you so much, Deborah. Um, Bye for now, listeners. Tune in next week to Radio Tony. This is your host, Tony Londis. See you next week. Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony. With Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Radio Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores.
Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia.